0: Hi, this is Mark Devine with the Unveiled Mind podcast, coming to you live from Kansas, California. Looking forward to chatting with you today, today's topic. And for the next few of these solo podcasts is emotional resiliency. It's going to be pretty cool, so stand by. Before I get started, though, let me remind you to go to our website and put your email into our email list if you haven't done so already so that you can get all the cool things that we send out by email every week. All right, we're going to start out by talking about the four steps... mastering self-control. Do you tend to back off or quit when things get hard? Is it because you get overwhelmed emotionally and let fear, uncertainty, or frustration derail you from your mission? Have you ever kept a tally of how many times you've allowed wild spikes of emotion to torpedo a relationship or a stressful project? Be honest with yourself. Emotional control is an issue for all of us. My sense is that you would prefer to bounce back quicker from life's various ups and downs. Further, do you desire to consistently challenge yourself to excel and to be the best in any situation, to matter the myriad of forces sniping at you from the external circumstances of the world? If a state of mind and being like this unstoppable attitude is appealing, then you need to set your sights on cultivating emotional resiliency. It's the third of our five mountains of physical, mental, emotional, intuitional, and spiritual development, and it's often the most challenging for us to develop. When you look at the tactics used by successful Navy SEALs or SEAL-fit graduates or others like ultra-endurance athletes, expedition racers, or survivors of natural disasters, they're all surprisingly similar. They are allied with a fiery determination to stay the course even when they inevitably hit Various black holes of difficulty waiting them on their road or their path. And it's an inability to rebound swiftly from failure that is crippling. And I bet you know folks who always burn warm to hot with runaway emotions like a kettle of water on the stove, ready to erupt in steam at the slightest provocation. A hint of criticism or a dose of honest feedback on their performance and they flip out. They go right for your juggler. Let me give you a quick story from Kokoro Camp. I heard the shout, no rep, and I recall vividly watching the trainees struggling. No rep, again shouted Coach Smith, referring to the weak squat mechanics of the Kokoro student. Get your hips below parallel. You were supposed to come prepared. I think you're going to fail this test because you didn't train properly. I could see the Smith's words needled. The trainee got under his skin. Good, I thought. An opportunity for breakthrough learning and improvement was discovered by Smith and it's being pursued appropriately. We break him down so we can build him back up at Kokoro. That's part of our formula. But I wasn't prepared for what happened next. As Smith moved on to his next victim, along came Coach Cummings. What do we have here? Another sloppy movement? Maybe a quitter, he sneered. Why did you say you could do 100 squats on your Kokoro application if you can't do one correctly? Open your hips at the top of that squat. No rep. The trainee bolted upright, frozen with an instant of pure rage. Then he ripped up his shirt off and launched it into Cummings' face. Then the trainee stormed off as a quitter. We hadn't even started Kokoro training yet. This was just the baseline test, and this guy had already become unhinged lost all emotional control, and he quit the fight. And as a result, he abandoned his teammates and his dream behind him. In allowing his emotions to dictate his decision, he had also abandoned a vastly different path that lay right in front of him. Now, had he harnessed his emotions in that moment of difficulty, he would have survived the weekend and, more importantly, made tremendous gains in personal insight and growth. He would have met a new version of himself for the first time. But instead, the achievement gained by his response to criticism could be defined by little more than the lingering pain of regret. The quality this man was lacking was emotional resiliency. Emotional resiliency means that you can bounce back quickly from any setback. It is a skill, trust me, a skill that can be trained, just like as we've discussed in previous blogs and podcasts, just like mental toughness can be trained. After working with thousands of spec ops candidates and professionals, I've discovered that mental toughness, the kind that allows us to make both minor and serious decisions with clarity and strength during our weakest moments, is one part mental and several parts emotional. Let me introduce to you a four-step process to build emotional resiliency. They're fairly simple steps, in fact, but the crucial ingredient is the consistent application of the steps over time. That's training, folks, and also the patience to net the hard results of ingraining the approach into an autopilot-like habit. In this podcast and the next series, we're going to be diving deep into what these steps are and how to execute them. Here they are. Step one, witness the negative emotional reaction happening in real time and interdict it to observe the root emotion beneath. Step two, lean into that root emotion to experience it fully ensuring that you're avoiding denial or any transference. Step three, transmute the negative emotion, the negative emotion of that root to its positive counterpart. For example, fear can become courage. Anger can become commitment. Jealousy can become appreciation. And shame can become pride or despair can become surrender. Step four, engage this new emotion with imagery and self-talk that supports it And blocks the old emotion from returning. Then we get moving again by standing up, dusting ourselves off, and engaging, diverting our attention away from the drama of ourselves, our pitiful little story, and focusing instead on a teammate or supporting your team. This is a brand of positive momentum that will take you to a new and better emotional territory. Let me give you a personal example that I first introduced in my book Unbeatable Mind. During Operation Iraqi Freedom, I was quoted in a newspaper article regarding reckless employment of SEALs in daylight direct action raids, in sharp contradiction of our tactical training and historical employment. Without my approval, the author used my reserve officer rank in the story to make it sound like a semi-official statement, which it was not. Of course, I got called on the carpet quickly by a Navy SEAL captain working for the headquarters who read me a riot act. As I stood and received the verbal beating in front of his desk, I could feel my anger starting to boil. My instinctual emotional response was to lash out and verbally defend myself, to fight back. And that was what he was expecting, actually trying to provoke. But I sensed this would get me into deeper water, so I chose to interdict the reaction with an internally voiced command to stop. Then I began to observe my inner emotional state. I did this to notice where it was going and the grip it had on my mind. This became my internal work, quote-unquote, while I nodded politely to the captain. Beneath the anger, I became aware of a slight fear of the repercussions of this incident to my reputation and career. So, I leaned into that secondary emotion. What I mean is that, though my mind was reacting with anger, I witnessed that at the other side of that anger was a fear of loss. The anger was a habituated reaction that clouded over the root of fear. In those short moments, I examined the fear, kicked its tires, and came to the conclusion that I was blowing things out of proportion. I made the conscious choice to gather this energy of fear and to repurpose it toward maintaining composure and a positive professional attitude toward the captain. After all, he was just doing his job and using the tools of abuse that had supported him so well in a military system. That can be rigid. Then I began an internal dialogue about being well-respected, about being admired for speaking my mind, and having the honor to do the right thing regardless of the consequences. I willed myself to think about my teammates and the risk they were being exposed to rather than my own tiny circumstances. Now, as you've likely predicted, I got through the incident without much blood loss, and it was soon lost in the rearview mirror of time, both for me and for the captain and anyone else who cared. Like most setbacks, it was temporary, Yet it provided a rich opportunity to refine my emotional resiliency toolkit that, if I hadn't applied the skills that I've mentioned here in this podcast, I would have missed out on altogether. And guess what? My reputation was enhanced with those who mattered to me most. Now ask yourself this. If your emotional life was portrayed as a nuclear power plant, would it be described as a source of infinite controlled star-like power, or a reactor that is poorly managed, prone to out-of-control catastrophic meltdowns. Clearly, we want the former. Our distinct mission with this series of podcasts is to guide you toward correctly harnessing the indefatigable strength and energy from within, which is your inner emotional reservoir. Conventional thinking on what makes the human experience unique is framed around the function of the neocortex, In particular, how this region of the brain allows us to work things out in the future and learn from the past, to solve problems and create new realities. Though this is true, I personally believe that we humans have an equally rare gift to feel and make meaning through feeling. It's within feelings, emotions, initiated by the experiences of life, where we can actualize deep learning. Just thinking something new or learning something with thinking doesn't produce deep learning. Thinking about a serious problem is like brushing a light coat of paint on a leaking roof. The problem isn't remotely solved on a structural level. I truly believe that deep learning occurs when we intently apply both thinking and feeling. We align them. Another way I like to put it is this. Emotional intelligence, or EQ, is equally as important as cognitive intelligence, or IQ. If you have one without the other, then you're incomplete and cannot grow In the developmental sense into your full potential. Now whether you agree with this thesis or not, I'm confident that you do understand how emotional immaturity can be a challenge to you at many levels. Consider individuals who allow their emotions to run wild through their life and affect their life decisions, unleashing behavior that inevitably creates universal trust issues and painful regrets. For others, emotions are an abstract, vague concept best left for touchy-feely types to fret over, or simply a distraction to be avoided by those who do the real work of the world. This latter emotional immaturity leads to the predominantly cold and heartless landscapes that are the politics and mega-business of today's world. At any rate, let's get back on track with the objective here. To inspire you to develop your emotional intelligence, your EQ, and offer several means and methods to do so. Ultimately, I want you to understand how to embrace obstacles and turn them into opportunities, simultaneously experiencing the full range of emotions that the experience evokes. Rather than a life exclusively lived in the thin vapor of the intellect, experiencing life both with thought and feeling will allow you to access a vital dimensionality in the important things of your life. Your emotions, or lack thereof, will no longer block the path towards success. And happiness. In the next podcast, we'll get into some emotional training that will pay big dividends if you take it seriously. Until then, train hard, stay safe, and get resilient. Hooyah, Coach Divine like Out. Lock it low, boys. Time to explode, boys. Make sure you get home, boys. They got your back, the pride of the fleece, the bright swinging frogman.